You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, upc.org. The heavens are telling the glory of God. Thank you very much, choir. That was a gift to us this morning. And especially thank you, Rebecca and John and Kevin, uh, for your music. So how does the glory of God that the heavens are telling hit earth? What is worship? How does the worship that happens in this space, the worship practices that we do in this space, how do they connect to our worship Monday to Saturday outside of this space? That's our question this morning. And I'm going to suggest that worship recenters and regathers our lives, not in a practice, not in a series of activities, but in a person, in the person of Christ Jesus. It's not an original suggestion, but it's a good one to remind ourselves of. That worship doesn't happen in a place. Worship happens in a person. That Jesus is the place where the hope of heaven and the dust of earth intersect. Around Jesus. And so let's read this description of the one in whom the hopes of heaven, the worship of heaven, and the dust of earth intersects, coming from Colossians, a letter that Paul wrote to a group of churches that he had not founded, but he knew of reputation. He knew of their tangibly lived out hope. And we're going to start in chapter 1, verse 15. If you'll stand and read with me, please, we're going to start on page 956. Reading from verses 15. Through verse 23. When we finish reading, I will say this is the word of the Lord. And if you embrace that, please respond. Thanks be to God. Let's read together from God's holy word, Colossians 1, 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. And you who were once estranged and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his fleshly body through death so as to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable before him, provided that you continue securely established and steadfast in the faith without shifting from the hope promised by the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. I, Paul, became a servant of this gospel. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for meeting us in this time and in this place. Thank you for meeting us in these words. And I pray that the words of my mouth, 
the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Turning and turning in the widening gyre, the falcon cannot hear the falconer. Things fall apart, the center cannot hold. Do you recognize these words, these lines? I'm sure several of you do. They're from a poem, a very well-known poem by W.B. Yeats, written by W.B. Yeats, called The Second Coming. It was penned in the wake of the carnage of World War I. And I don't know how you imagine those first two lines. You've seen falcons hunting, perhaps, the way that they turn in, in widening circles, in, in spirals, gyres in the sky, over an open field, waiting for their prey. And in my mind's eye, I see a falcon circling around and around over a battlefield, lost, exhausted, without a safe place to land. Having flown too far out to hear the voice of the falconer, who stands with arm upraised, calling it back to perch. It's an image in Yeats' poem of social disintegration. Things fall apart. The center cannot hold. And I wonder if it can also be a picture of a worship that has become irrelevant. Rituals and practices that turn and turn in ever-widening circles entirely out of range to actually hear and return to the voice of God. And pedigree, style, era, these, these have nothing to do with these rituals I'm talking about. It does not matter if these rituals are as old as Rome or as new as last week. Prayers and songs and silence and sermons and sacraments that turn round and round in a widening circle entirely out of range of God's voice are irrelevant and lost, circling over a city and a world as things fall apart. There was a danger in the city of Colossae among the Christians there that they were beginning to turn to worship rituals that were disconnected from the voice and person of Christ at the center. Worship practices that place their hope in another place or another power to hold things together. Dangerous because what we practice here in the worship space is what we live in worship all through the rest of our lives. And if our rituals and our worship practices are disconnected from the real and tangible hope of Christ Jesus held for us in heaven, Paul writes in Colossians, if they fly too far from the voice of God, then I wonder if our lives and the witness of the church doesn't also become irrelevant to the world. And turn it around, I wonder if we have lives that once we leave this space have no practices that center around the voice of Jesus. If our activities from Monday through Saturday fly in ever-widening circles around other voices and other hopes and other demands, when we finally come back in to try to land here, can we hear God at all? 
turning and turning in a widening gyre of people who can no longer hear their maker. Things fall apart. The center cannot hold. See, our practices of worship, not simply when we gather here, but also when we gather in small groups, are in our personal daily practices of prayer and scripture reading. They have to connect to an actual living center, to a living hope, to the person of Christ Jesus, to this hope of Christ Jesus that genuinely energizes us. Our daily living in faith and love, no matter the circumstances, or things will fall apart, the center cannot hold. George talked to us about that last week. He gave us the image in a very different place than Paul is writing to. In, in a time and a place when, when Jesus was there physically. Wouldn't that have been amazing? To pack into this house around Jesus who was there to watch what happened in, in healing the paralytic. But that isn't where the believers in Colossians are. Uh, Colossae is in modern-day Turkey. It was founded by a man called Epaphras. He's a, he's a friend of, of Paul's, and Paul writes us from prison. He writes this and two other letters from prison that have come down to us. Philippians, written to a church he knew very well that he had founded. And uh, Philemon, written to a home church, a man who runs a church in his home in Colossae who has a runaway slave called Onesimus. And then there's to this church, to the believers in Colossae, because he's heard things that concern him. Today, Paul writes to them, who he only knows by reputation, and also to us, to gather and regather around Jesus Christ, the one in whom all things hold together. To gather around Jesus so that we glorify God, not only in the gathering, but also in the sending of worshiping communities. And I'm going to suggest that worship is the act of listening for the voice of the one who holds it all together. Worship is the act of listening and responding to the voice of the one who holds it all together. We gather on a Sunday to hear and recognize Jesus Christ so that when we go into our city, our lives, we stay within the range of Jesus' voice to hear and to recognize and respond to Jesus at the center of all things. This is what Paul is doing in this hymn that he uses in his letter. It's interesting. Paul loves to use hymns in his letters from prison. We hear about that in stories of of individuals who find themselves imprisoned, and they remember the songs, they remember hymns. There's a very famous Christ hymn in Philippians 2, isn't there? A A letter written from prison. And this is a very famous Christ hymn in Colossians. It's in Colossians 1. We just read it. He uses a hymn to call us back and call lives and worship practices that were beginning to aimlessly circle around a center that could not hold and around false homes, hopes, and lesser promises to Jesus. And you and I, we know what it feels like, don't we, to turn and turn in a widening gyre around a center that can't hold? Don't you know that exhaustion of holding it together? Don't we show up here on a Sunday looking for a place to land? And Paul calls us back to that person with whom we land. He says it in verse 115. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Paul writes, if you've seen Jesus, you have seen God. Uh, There's a theologian called T.F. Torrance who has said there isn't some shadowy Old Testament God hiding behind the really palatable face of Jesus just waiting to jump out at you. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. You've seen God the creator 
Paul claims, because he goes on, doesn't he, to say, the firstborn of all creation. Now, what does this mean, the firstborn of all creation? Look at verse 16. For, this is our explanation, for in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or power, all things have been created through him and for him. Well, that's about as comprehensive as it gets, which is good news. We don't have to return the universe to Jesus at the center. That is not the mission of the church. The mission of the church is to not to uh, suggest that school and work and the election and the stock market and the harvest and the fish stocks and the bodies and weather systems of all of us and that all of these things operate independently of Jesus unless we in the church somehow make Jesus relevant to them. Unless we introduce God onto the scenes by our efforts and actions, unless we shellac Christ everywhere. According to Paul, Jesus is already hyper-relevant to all things, whether they know it or not. And just to be clear, that's all things in heaven and on earth. And just to drive it home, that's all things visible and invisible. And just in case that isn't comprehensive enough, every conceivable level of the angelic and invisible realms are listed here. That's what he means by thrones and powers and dominions and rulers. In our age, we would say all of these systems and things that that humans don't seem to be able to influence or control or change no matter how hard we try. There just seems to be some invisible system that drives it to destruction. Jesus, Paul claims, holds supremacy over all of these things. So the first thing to hear clearly when we gather in worship and go out into the world to live in worship is you don't have to make Jesus the center. Jesus is already at the center. You need to return to the center where Jesus is. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, Paul writes. This didn't simply start in Bethlehem when Jesus took on human flesh. Jesus' birth was not plan B. Jesus has always been this common ground between God, the creator, and God's creation. Ever since the beginning, Jesus is the one who acts as as this living bridge, this living place, the mediator, the place where the hope of heaven intersects with the dust of earth. And isn't this the invitation to Sabbath rest in worship? To come in for a landing on the arm of the Savior. How hard are you working to hold things together? Listen, Paul says. Come in for a landing. There is one name and one person that can actually make your life coherent that can make it all make sense. And so we gather around that person as the church, around this hope. We gather as the church around Christ Jesus in us, the hope of glory. Just as George reminded us last week, and just where Paul goes in the next verses here, in verse 18, he is the head of the church, the body. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. Now, something really remarkable happens here in verse 18, and I want you to pay attention to it. Every self-respecting religious system out there begins with God as creator. The heavens declare the glory of God. The God who created all of this is supreme over all. That's the way the game is played. 
And that is where this hymn begins as well, it seems. But then it takes a turn on you. Did you notice in verse 18 why Jesus has the first place in everything? Because everything has the capacity to hold together in him? No. In verse 18, Jesus has the first place in everything because he is the firstborn from the dead so that he might come to have the first place in everything. See, this is the problem with the creation argument, isn't it? It's fair enough to claim that God has supremacy over all things created and whom all things hold together, but the fact of the matter is they don't. And they're not. The created order isn't holding together. Isn't that the issue? Hurricanes hit. Governments are corrupt and fire on their own people. Bodies are vulnerable to disease and death. Our minds and our spirits are vulnerable to a crippling depression or mental illness. Lies are told. I mean, read the Psalms. I'd recommend you read them every day, actually. The psalm writers, the, the prayer writers in the psalms consistently cry out over and over to God. The wicked are prospering and the righteous are being held underfoot. The creation fights us for food and shelter. What tangible reason is there for hope in a God who claims sovereignty over all creation when creation is clearly in open rebellion? See, first place in everything in the Christian confession does not begin with creation. First place in everything in the Christian confession begins with new creation. The first place in everything begins and is anchored in the resurrection. This is the tangible hope that motivates the faith and the love of the Colossians. The resurrection demonstrates that God's grace is unlimited and abundant. The resurrection demonstrates that everything lost will be found. The resurrection demonstrates that love is stronger than death. The resurrection demonstrates that the final word is life and victory and hope. That is the tangible hope laid up for us in heaven. This is Christ in you. The hope of glory. This is where we land. All things hold together in him because he is the center who holds all things that fall apart. Jesus' supremacy and claim to the center that holds is established. It's anchored in the story of a God who dies. Did you read that at the end of the hymn here? Look, verse 20. And through him, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. For in him, Paul had written earlier, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. God gave himself fully and completely to broken things to enemies and to rogue powers, to the destruction and death of the body. God chose, God was pleased to fully dwell in one man, in one place, in a limited span of years with a limited capacity of influence in order to reconcile all people in all places throughout all time from every power that exists in heaven and in earth. 
The supremacy and authority and power of the Christian God fully revealed in Jesus Christ is not claimed on the basis of created authority. The supremacy and authority and power of the Christian God is claimed on the basis of the cross, of the authority and capacity to reconcile, of bringing all the broken parts back together in the blood of God become human. This is the center that will hold all things together. This is our tangible hope. This is where we come in for a landing in our worship on a Sunday. If we listen to God's voice in Paul's letter that gently but firmly calls us to come back to the center, we hear him saying that you and I are not first. You are not the beginning of your own life or of this creation. You are not the one from whom all things originate and in whom all things hold together. You or I are not the head of the body, the church. We are not the firstborn from the dead or the one who is meant to have the first place in all things. You and I are called to kneel to the one who is and who loves us unimaginably, incredibly. During university, I used to play my French horn for worship services in various churches. It's why I was giving Bill a bad time about brass ensembles. Now, we very much like our brass ensembles. And I remember one Sunday, I was at a worship service. I'm, I'm sitting, you know, facing the congregation in the brass ensemble, and sitting right in front of me in the, in the front row is a woman who spends her entire time in the worship service crying. And I was appalled. I was, uh, I was, I was, I was horrified. I was embarrassed for her. Because, you see, in the tradition I grew up in, worship is where you were supposed to hold it together. You held it together here. And then the message was that the creative God that you circle around in the rest of the world is one who expects you to hold it together. And anything that happens in here is just to help you pull up your bootstraps and do it again turning and turning in the widening circle of what I thought God the Creator expected of me, never actually stopping, never actually landing, never actually listening to the voice of the crucified one. Now, if you were someone with the capacity to hold all things perfectly, to submit without rancor or regret to those things you cannot control and control without selfishness or error, those people are things entrusted to your care. If you hold in your own body and yourself the power to protect your body and the body of those you love perfectly from disease and decay. And if you hold in yourself the power to overcome death. Well, then this sermon, I will freely admit, is going to be irrelevant for you today. But if you are, like the rest of us, exhausting from the turning and the turning in the winding gyre, if you long to land and come home to the one who can heal and make us whole and send us out to follow his voice into the world in lives of tangible hope, then come to worship here at this table. Gather without pretense or hiding in the face of the one who is the beginning whose broken flesh on the cross pulled all things together to the center that holds. Amen. 
For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.